was on page uh, 673. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been speaking to us as your word was read, and we pray now that as we come to consider this passage together, that you continue to speak to our hearts um, by your Spirit, uh, and cause us to know how to live uh, in this life uh, that you have given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure the phone's on silent. Right. It was Benjamin Franklin who said that there is nothing certain except death and taxes. That's right. Now, some people don't pay taxes. <laughs> but everybody dies. And in our passage today, we learn to live with this reality. Everybody dies. The preacher brings us gently uh, into this topic from where we were last week. Uh, chapter 8 ended with the assertion that we can't understand what's going on under the sun. Uh, there are righteous people who get what ought to be the punishment of the wicked, and wicked people who get what ought to be the rewards of the righteous, and no matter how much we try, we can't really understand reality. Well, today's passage opens with the, an assurance that ought to be a source of comfort in the midst of this. In chapter 9, verse 1, he says, But this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. They are in God's hand. God looks after them. But at this stage, it's hard to work out what that means because it's actually no guarantee of a happy life. The verse continues, Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. You may be righteous, you may be wise, but you don't know whether you'll be loved or hated, and whether you will love or hate. No guarantees that just because you're a righteous person, you will have good relationships. Being in God's hands doesn't necessarily mean that life is going to be easy. It's, it's tough, but true. You don't know what will happen in the future, but what you do know is that your fate, in the end, is the same as that of the sinner, the one who pays no heed to obeying God. Verse 2. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to him who, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, and to him who does not sacrifice us. As is the good, so also the sinner. He who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. And that event is death. Everybody dies. But there is one thing that is common to everyone before death, and this time it's not taxes. Verse 3 continues. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go on to the dead. 
You see, whether you're one of the righteous and wise or one of the sinners and foolish, you, you still sin and you die. Even if you're relatively good, if you're, even if you're counted among the, the godly and pious ones, you're still actually a sinner. Your heart is sinful, you're sinful on the inside, and that sinfulness expresses itself in, in sinful behavior, and then you die. And Because the wages of sin is death. Everybody sins, and everybody dies. So, is it better to live or die? Some people may say, may as well die now, because you're going to die anyway. But the preacher disagrees. Verse 4. He who is joined with the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, in that culture, dogs were not cute pets. All right? They were vile, wild, despised, unclean creatures. And the lion, of course, is the greatest of all beasts, but... A dead lion is just a carcass. A dog that's alive is better than a lion that's dead. Verse 5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Think of all the people who lived in the preacher's day and read these, these words of wisdom. Some of them would have been great, well regarded, held in high esteem by the people of their time. Some of them would have been notorious, feared and hated for what they did. Most of them would have been pretty normal, people like you and me. People with hopes and fears and dreams. and All of them are now gone. And no one even knows their names. And soon it will be the same for us. We will be forgotten. Everyone who knows us will be forgotten. Everything that we've done will be forgotten. There'll be no permanent recognition, no reward in terms of honor or fame, no reward in terms of privilege or wealth, no reward in terms of affection or love. Those who love us will be gone and those who hate us will be gone as well. Those whom we envy and those who envy us will have nothing to envy because nothing's there. All gone. Verse 6. Their love and their hate and envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. That's it. While you are living, you have hope. While you are living, you have a share in what goes on under the sun. You've got a part to play in, in the world and society. While you are living, you can do things, but, but everybody dies. And you won't anymore. So what are we to do? How do we respond to this stark reality? Well, in the next section, the preacher gives us the best and wisest response from an under-the-sun perspective. Remember, life under the sun is life as it is now, without regard for, for the resurrection and the life everlasting, without regard for the gospel. It's life as it is under the sun. Here's what he says. Chapter 9, verse 7. Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Listen, God, God says it's okay. God has approved. It's okay to enjoy your food and your wine. 
I'm not talking about gluttony or drunkenness. I'm not talking about drinking if you're underage or if you have a tendency to drunkenness or alcoholism where you can stumble a brother or sister and all this. He's talking in generalities and here and in all the other things he's about to say. God approves of people enjoying their food and wine. It doesn't have to be rich food to enjoy your food. I had nasi lemak for breakfast this morning. Enjoy your nasi lemak. Savor the rich aromatic rice with that slight pandan flavor right, and the sambal that is fiery and sweet at the same time. Right, costs you two ringgit. Right, you can afford it. And if you can't afford it, come here on Wednesday morning and enjoy it for free. Wine, a bit more expensive. Enjoy it if you can. Rather enjoy a good cup of coffee myself. Or cup of tetare. Everyone can enjoy that. Some people think that if you enjoy something, God doesn't really want you to have it. And if you're really spiritual, you're abstained from it. But God's not a killjoy. He gives us good things so we can enjoy it. He approves of you enjoying your food and drink. He also approves of you looking after your, your appearance. He, he wants you to enjoy how you present yourself. Verse 8, let your garments always be white. Clean clothes. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Olive oil if you're an ancient Israelite. Coconut oil if you're over 60 in Malaysia. Huh? Bill cream or mousse or gel or whatever your generation likes to wear to make you look smart. It's okay. God approves even if other people laugh at you. If you're married, concentrate on your marriage. You only get one. Make it as good as you can. And share the happiness of life together. God approves. Verse 9. Enjoy life with your, the wife whom you love. Look after her. Spoil her a bit. Enjoy her. From an under-the-sun perspective, that's, that's the best you can do with life. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in, uh, that is your portion in life. We'll stop there for a moment. Right? Don't get upset that you're not going to have a permanent legacy. Don't get sad you won't live forever under the sun. Don't get worried that you can't influence the future generation. Enjoy life with your spouse if you can. That's your reward. That's the, that's the portion. And not only take joy in life with your spouse, but the end of verse 9, there we continue, take joy in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Enjoy your work. Take pleasure in what you do, whether it's paid or unpaid. And the best way to do that is to actually work hard at it. Verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol is the grave. And that's where we're all going soon. From under the sun perspective, it's a dead end. Right? Pun intended. Can't work there. Can't learn there. Might as well work hard and learn lots while you're here. See, the preacher's not a pessimist, is he? He's, he's a wise realist. He doesn't say, like some people, life sucks and then you die. Right? He doesn't say, everything is vanity, so just die. Everything is vanity, so just get really depressed about it. He's saying, everything is vanity, so make the best of it. God approves of what you do. 
Enjoy your food, enjoy your wine, enjoy life with your wife, enjoy your work and work hard at it, enjoy life while you can, appreciate everything you have to enjoy as God's blessing to you. And then you die. Everybody dies. That's a much wiser way of living, isn't it? Having given the wisest response under the sun, the preacher returns to the problem, because even if you take his advice, you still die in the end. doesn't actually solve the problem, just tells you what to do while you're facing it. You can die any time. Life is, life is unpredictable. Verse 9. No, let's go to verse 11. Again I saw that under the sun... The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. It's true, isn't it? You can be very smart, but fail the exam because you read the question wrong. You can be in the B class or the art stream at school, but end up doing very well in your business when you come out. You can be a brilliant professional in your own field and then lose your retirement savings in a silly investment. You can be an average civil servant and then you discover the house you bought on government loan many years ago when you were young has greatly appreciated in value and when you come to sell it, you're rich overnight. The future is not really predictable. It's always the element of time and chance, what, what the world calls luck. We've already seen, however, the one thing that is predictable is death. Everybody dies. Yet even death is not predictable because you never know when you're going to die. Verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net. Like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. You could be driving home from church today when you meet with an accident. Or you could live to a ripe old age and die in a nursing home. You simply don't know. So friends, what do we do in response to what we've heard? Well, Depends on who we are. Most of us here are believers in Jesus Christ. We have been saved by Him. We trust His death on the cross has paid for our sins. We know that He's risen from the dead, that He's the promised Lord and King, and we serve Him as our King. We are in His kingdom, but we live in what we call the overlap of the ages. Christ has come, he has died for sins, he's risen again, his all authority in heaven and earth is given to him, his kingdom has come, his kingdom is here, we're in the age to come. And yet Christ hasn't yet returned. His glory hasn't been seen in its fullness. We await the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess him as Lord, we're waiting for his kingdom to come. And so we live in the overlap of the ages. We God's kingdom's come. The age to come has started. We live there. And yet this age continues. And we live here. We belong to Christ now. 
seated with him in the heavenly places, future way beyond the grave, and we still live in this world with all the struggles of this life. We still have eternal life, and we still die. Live in the age to come, but we live in this age, in the overlap now. And so, when we're considering the implications of this, we've got to look at both things. We've got to look at both sides, because we're living in both places. As we consider the fact that we're in the kingdom and belong to the age to come, we see some big changes that have come through the coming of Christ, don't we? We sang about that just now how Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. And he will raise us as well. So at one level, whether we die at home now or live on the way home now or live another 50 years, not so concerned. Death is not the end. Furthermore, we know that God will hold us accountable for everything we've done, so our lives have meaning. They're not ultimately in vain. And even more importantly, we know that because we've been forgiven through Jesus, we have eternal life in glory with Him. That is grace. Something we don't deserve. And, and we can face our own death with confidence because of grace. And we seek to respond to God's grace by bringing glory to Him. And so our lives have purpose. Purpose that is far more significant and far more worthwhile pursuing than our own fame and legacy. We know more than the preacher, not because we're smarter than him, but because God has revealed more than in that day. We know more because Christ has come and we have a bigger perspective on everything, including death. Yes, everybody dies, but not everybody suffers the same ultimate fate. Because the New Testament tells us in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. For those who have been forgiven, for those who have been reconciled to God, for those who trust in Jesus, they will escape God's final punishment and be with Jesus in the new creation forever. But those who remain outside Christ will have to face God the judge in their own. And everybody sins. So justice will lead to condemnation. And if we know that, then we can't just do what the preacher says. Because we've got an eternal perspective. And what we enjoy now is less important than what we enjoy eternally. Treasure in heaven is more important than treasure on earth. God and his kingdom are more important than our pleasure. The salvation of others is more important than my satisfaction. The fact that the gospel needs to go out to all the world is more important than my enjoyment. And so we are willing to make sacrifices for the long term, the very long term. We are willing to prioritize the eternal over the temporal. Things that last forever over things that disappear like mist. We are willing to exchange what we cannot keep for what we cannot lose. And many of us are gladly to, glad to sacrifice time and effort and money for the sake of the kingdom. And we work hard for the kingdom because when we get to heaven, we won't have a chance to evangelize there, will we? We won't have a chance to help our brother and sister persevere in Christ. So, do it now while you can. Enjoy kingdom work while you can. 
Yet in the midst of that, there will be trouble. That's normal too. Some of us will face persecution. Some of us might even be killed for following Jesus, but we're willing to take that risk and give our lives, and that's something that would make no sense if under the sun was all there is. But we know that everybody dies. Might as well die for something that lasts forever. We live for the eternal kingdom where we truly belong. But on the other hand, we still live in this world of vanity. We are people who belong to the future, but we live in the present. We are under the sun, S-O-S, but we still live under the sun, S-U-N. Is it S-O-S? S-O-N, isn't it? And there is much godly wisdom here in Ecclesiastes 9 for living godly lives under the sun. What do you do with the fact that life is short and ephemeral? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. 1 Timothy 4, uh, the Spirit predicted that false teachers would arise that would forbid marriage, require abstinence from certain foods, and, and Paul says no. Everything created by God is good. Reject nothing. Receive it from God with, with thanksgiving. In 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Nothing's changed there. Creation is still creation. So enjoy. Enjoy your food, enjoy your drinks, enjoy looking smart, enjoy life with your spouse, enjoy your work and the projects you make up. Those are gifts from God. Be grateful to Him and enjoy. God approves of you enjoying life under the sun. He's the Creator. And when you enjoy the creation and you do it with thanksgiving to the Creator, you bring glory to Him. Your enjoyment won't be full because everything is affected by sin. But enjoy what you can. But make sure as you do that you don't forget the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord more than you rejoice in food, clothes, spouse, work and whatever else. Prize Him, value Him above everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the other things, food, drink, clothes, will be added unto you. And when you enjoy the gifts of creation, do it with the kingdom in mind. When you eat and drink, don't just do it hedonistically. When you give thanks before you eat, mean it. Be thankful. It's great. I can eat. Do it to the glory of God who gave you food and drink and the capacity to enjoy them. Enjoy creation work in addition to your kingdom work. Creation work is the kind of work that anyone can do, whether you're a Christian or not. But God made creation, and that's, that's a good thing. Enjoy it. Work hard at your creation work, whether it's balancing the books or bringing up the kids. But don't just do it for your enjoyment. Do it for the Lord. And even creation work takes on an eternal value. As Paul wrote to the slaves in Colossians, work hardly. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So, if you belong to Jesus, you have an eternal perspective that modifies the preacher's wisdom. Wisdom still valid, still good for us as we live under the sun. Just that we've got a bigger perspective for, from Jesus. And so, we live first and foremost for him.
what if you're not a believer? What if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus? What does this passage say to you? Well, you have a decision to make. You have to decide. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Will you let him be the boss and let him forgive your sins or not? Because if you're not going to follow Jesus, then you have no hope for the eternal future. You may as well just enjoy life now as much as you can. Enjoy your food, enjoy your drink, enjoy life with your spouse, enjoy your work, because it's all going to end soon. Everybody dies. The net will come, the snare will appear in your path, and death will suddenly take you away. Or you face God's judgment and condemnation forever. Please, would you reconsider? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And if you believe in him, then your perspective changes. You know you will be saved in the end. You know you'll be with him in glory forever. And so now you live this life not for yourself. Still enjoy life now as much as you can in thankfulness to him. But you will adopt a much bigger view. And your reward is not just enjoying life now, but God himself in eternity. Friends, everybody dies, but follow Jesus who rose again. That's the best way to live this short life. So brothers and sisters, in conclusion, we have seen that death is coming. Everybody dies. You and I can go any time, and soon we will. So make the best of this life. Enjoy it while it lasts with thanksgiving to God. But most importantly, prepare for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are creator and that you have created everything good for us to enjoy. Our Father, as we go about life in your creation, give us hearts that are always thankful to you for the good things that you do give us. We know our enjoyment of creation is marred by sin, but there is still so much that we can be grateful for. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to do that. Living in this, this short life, help us to make the best of that. And help us to uh, look to you with thankful hearts as the giver of all good things. Our Father, in light of what your Son has done for us. We thank you that you have given us the bigger picture. We thank you for uh, the greater uh, and more wonderful blessing of redemption and all the spiritual blessings you have given us in Christ. We thank you for the future we have with him and that glorious inheritance where sin does not mar our enjoyment anymore of your new creation and particularly of you yourself. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to live in this world, this short life that you've given us, with that eternity in mind. And help us to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.